Hi there, and welcome to Third Sector Success 101, the podcast from Third Sector Network with me, your host, Joe Green. Wherever in the world you're listening from, it's our absolute pleasure to have you here with us today. In this episode, we are going to be delving deep down into what would be a nightmare scenario for pretty much any charity. We're going to be looking at what to do, how to approach and think about a PR disaster. That is to say, something terrible has happened in regards to your charity and the press are interested. For most of you, this will have never come up. For some of you, it might have done. But either way, this is a podcast episode we think you can't afford to miss if you're a charity leader. Talking to me today is going to be an experienced press journalist, a good friend of mine, Ed Stilliard, and he's going to be talking to us how he would approach a crisis with a charity from his point of view as a reporter. So with no further ado, let's meet our guest. Hi there, Ed. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming along. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi there, my name is Ed Stilliard. Um, so I've been a journalist for 15 years, started off as a trainee working in print, and then I worked my way up through the ranks as senior, then chief reporter uh, on digital publication, and I'm an editor, currently content editor, for uh, a website based in the Southwest. Excellent stuff. Now, Ed, spirit of full disclosure, we just want to say that you and I know each other personally. We've known each other for longer than those 15 years, haven't you? Haven't we? We know, know each other quite well. So I'm very yeah. happy that you can come along today. But I can also vouch for your experience and what a skilled journalist you are. Absolutely. Um, also, in the spirit of full disclosure for the benefits of our listeners, in the episode today, we are going to be talking about a completely hypothetical scenario. And we're going to be talking about how that might happen. Now, obviously, we've had to come up with a hypothetical scenario. And we can't be exhaustively certain that this isn't going to inadvertently resemble some real events that may have happened unbeknown to us. However, we just want to make it very clear from the start, this is an entirely hypothetical scenario and any similarity, no matter how slight to any real life events or people, is entirely unintentional. So I just want to make that clear from the start. Right then, Ed, the reason that you're on this podcast is to give us the insight as to how a journalist might approach a problem that a charity has had. And the charity that we're going to come up with is called The Made Up Charity. That's the name we're going to give it. And we're going to say that this charity is based in the fictional county of West Sussexshire. Um, so... <laughs> So Made Up Charity, based in West Sussexshire, is a medium-sized charity. It's got around about 20 employees, about another 20 volunteers, and has a turnover of a couple of million pounds a year. Now, the scenario we're going to talk about, what's happened at this charity? The charity, which relies very heavily on public donations, has accidentally published a link to an internal database through, let's say, their SharePoint files or something like that, the equivalent. And this file contains all the bank details of all the donors. It's got their name, addresses, and also things like their sort code and account number. Obviously, this information should never have been put into the public domain. It's happened by accident, but it's happened. The charities found out about it. This information was available to the public, unbeknownst to them, for about a week. They can't be certain yet how many people, or you know, if anyone has accessed this information, you know, but they've got to assume that's a possibility, and they're not at this point able to do that. Now, obviously, certain things are going to kick in. When they find out, they're going to have to contact the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, and they'll be doing all sorts of internal investigations, legal, etc. But in reality, 
they realize this is going to get out at some point because they're going to have to tell all the people involved. They might have to tell, you know, the donors, you know, this, that and the other. So they're having their first sit down conversation to discuss what's going to happen when this gets out. Now, as a journalist, Ed, if something like this has happened, you know, this or, or, or something similar, what is the most common way you as a journalist actually find out that something like this might have happened? Okay, so it's there's a number of avenues, number of ways that um, I could uh, be made alert to this situation. If the charity uh, puts out uh, a letter to its donors saying this has happened, and it probably would do, then it's quite likely that that um, charity would have to, well, either the donors would get in touch with uh, a journalist um, and say this has happened. They may not want to because they may love the charity quite a lot, but they may be like, look, you should just want to make sure that other people are aware of this. The charity would probably be in its probably be in best interest to say, put put out a press release saying this is what's happened. Um, but also um, there'll be people who are, have a vested interest in the charity who may not necessarily be personal donors, but may. Um, provide uh, advice, perhaps they work for a council um, or a they're a councillor. Um, maybe they are uh, a high-ranking member of, it's a high-ranking member of society, yeah. they are uh, a celebrity who does a lot of work for them. And they may be saying to a journalist that this has happened. So the, that would probably be the most likely way. It's either going to be from the charity or from um, a member of the public or from somebody who's a public elected, a publicly elected official, or a celebrity coming to us and saying, "This is what's happened." But um, essentially, but just to cut in, but essentially, you're saying someone would have to tell you. Probably is the most realistic point of view. So, it's, so, so I mean, if someone listening to this is thinking, "Is is it an option for if we like literally just don't tell anyone other than those we're kind of legally obligated to tell?" Although that would be a really sort of dicey way to go because then it might come out later. In in theory. In theory, if the charity opted to, to sort of try and lock it down, there's no guarantee you would find out, is there? Uh, if, the, if the charity is trying to lock it down, there is absolutely no guarantee that a member of the press uh, would not find out. And, and, you've, and, you've, and you've already said, though, however, that they should think about a press release. And I, and I would certainly second that. You know, I think straight away we want to kind of nip in the bud the notion that trying to keep it a secret is, is a good avenue to go down. But it's, it, it's, it's not like, as far as you're aware, there's any hard and fast obligation for the press to be told about this, is there? There's, no, there's no hard and fast obligation. But, I mean, we just said talked about, you know, there's no guarantee that a journalist will not find out. I can pretty much guarantee that a journalist would find out. So, right. um, you know, they're obviously not going to be, they're not going to be thinking, well, this charity, had, this, you know, it's Monday morning, as this charity had a, uh, a data breach or whatever, however it's done in the past week or so. Um, but if suddenly it's just come, you know, they're not going to start going to go fishing, but if they've been told about it, you know, somebody's going to tell them. Somebody's going to tell them. It's going to get out. Gonna someone, someone's going to put something on Twitter or something, or they're going to tell someone who tells someone else. I think if, you, if, if you're a charity and you're thinking, you know, well, you know, it, it might stay in. You're saying it's theoretically possible, but probably not the best plan to roll that dice because it, 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 it the, the most likely outcome is that the press, you know, someone is going to find out. So, okay, 
So you found out. Let's set aside how you found out. You have become aware. So let's say you've had some unsubstantiated sort of report, whether it's someone sent you an email and said, this has happened, or you've seen some rumblings, you know, you've been going through Twitter or something like that, and you've seen, oh, there's some rumblings going on. You've become aware that some sort of data breach that might be significant and that might, you know, and there's rumors going around it relates to maybe banking people's individual bank records has gone on at the made up charity in, in West Sussexshire. Um, so what would be, you know, so it's, it, it's half nine in the morning on a Monday, like you say, you've become aware of this. From your point of view, what's step number one? How, how does this begin from your point of view? So we, we've got, if we've received an unsubstantiated uh, report or uh, in unsubstantiated claim that this has happened or we've seen things on Twitter. I mean, the first thing is to get in touch with the charity and say, uh, and ask them directly, you know, has this happened? Um, uh, there are, that would be the first thing. And I would probably wait at that point before going any further. Um, because I mean, I could put in calls to the Information Commissioner's Office or into the Charity Commission. Um, you know, those those two organisations are quite big, so it's going to take a long time for them to get that information. It might actually be worthwhile to make those calls sooner rather than later because it's going to take some time to get a response. But, you know, as a journalist, um, the editor would be saying to the journalist, we cannot run this story unless we've got something official. OK, so you've, you've, you've got to start backing this up. Now, just out of curiosity, uh, you know, and this is, you know, I appreciate how you approach this. It would not necessarily be the same for every journalist. Would you pick up the phone or would you go for an email? You know, and there's a re I'll explain why I'm asking this question in a second. What do you think your instinct would be to, to phone or to email? Uh, <laughs> right. Speaking from experience. Um, I would phone, but I know that I would have to write an email. Okay, because the reason I'm the reason I'm asking that is that if let's say, and we're stepping out of the hypothetical scenario for a moment, if let's say you were a journalist covering a massive scandal at, at a big company like you know Apple or or Nike or or you know a football club or something like that, these these organisations have press teams. And they have legal teams on standby. You know, if, if you phone up Apple, let's say, and say, hi, I want to talk about this potentially huge story, they're going to say, right, we'll speak to our media, you know, speak to our press team, who will then have legal on standby. Now, most charities aren't going to have that. So, this, so coming back to the hypothetical again, if you were to phone up Made Up Charity and say, hi there, I'm Ed Stilliard, I'm a journalist from so-and-so, and I want to talk about this, the person you're going to get on the phone, because, you know, the only number on the website is going to be the general number, is either going to be a call screener or or somebody who would normally answer the phone to help people with whatever the charity helps people with. So uh, so the it's the most likely outcome is the person you speak to on the phone is not going to be the right person to speak to. Would you try talking to them thinking, well, you know what, let's see if this person confirmed. And I don't want to suggest this is kind of any underhand technique on your behalf, but would you think, well, listen, I'll, I'm going to ask the first person I speak to, or would you immediately want to say, I would like to speak to the most senior person available, please? Would you be trying, well, which is for your charity is going to be the CEO? Yeah, I mean, if it's, um, we're, we're talking about a medium-sized charity here, so it's either going to be, yes, the CEO, or it's going to be um, a contact that either I or one of my colleagues in the newsroom has um, somebody who's, who speaks with uh, the press quite regularly. 
Um, let's 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 assume they don't have that. So let's assume we're starting because if a charity listening has got a person like that who is their press contact, well, that, that's that then no, they know that's going to deal with. I suppose what I'm thinking is if the charity's sitting there thinking, oh God, do we answer the phone? What happened, you know? Do we need to start telling people to not answer the phone? Do you think your approach would be no? I would I would probably only want to speak to someone senior about this. Or, or would you say no? Listen, I'm going to try and speak to anyone who speaks yeah. for the charity. So you you would you would you would want to speak to someone senior. That yes. or, or what you feel it would you would need to speak to someone senior? Would you? You you want to be, speak to somebody senior, and you need to speak to somebody senior. Um, obviously, if you speak to somebody who mans the phones, it's um, they won't have all the, the answers. A CEO will. A CEO will also know what to say and what not to say, because there's going to be stuff that is potentially damaging to the charity that might not need to come out. And um, so, yes, it's the CEO you want to speak to. It's the CEO um, or, um, you know, perhaps the chief operating officer. Um, you want to speak to somebody at a senior level who knows what has happened, who can provide answers to the questions. Otherwise, you just, you know, you're adding layers to a uh, conversation you ask the question to to somebody who answers the phone they take down the, the answers and they you know it takes so many days to get the response speak to the ceo straight away okay so, so now for, for a lot of people listening to this they will have either never been in a situation like this or certainly hope they're never in a situation but let, let's just talk technicals for a second so so in terms of how sort of the rules of how these things work, we've all seen TV, you know, where someone presses, you know, this is on the record, this is off the record. Out of curiosity, uh, you know, you've you've got on the phone to someone, and it's the CEO, and 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 they say, oh yeah, you you want to speak to me? You're 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 from the so and so newspaper. You want to speak to me? As far as you're concerned, you're trying to first of all substantiate is this story accurate in any way, and after that, you then want to get as many details as possible. Do you consider a conversation with the CEO in this circumstance to be on the record from the moment the conversation begins? Do you feel you have to tell them that point has started? I mean, if, if, the, if the CEO is unguarded enough to within two minutes of the conversation started have given everything away, is your approach to that is, well, that's fair game. Look, if they want to tell me absolutely everything without thinking about what they're saying, my job is to report that. Or, 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 is, or is there a starting point where you say, hi there, I want to talk about this, this, that and the other, and I would like it to be on the record. How does this work on the record, off the record, that kind of a thing? Um, so you've obviously introduced yourself. You, the, the, One of the first things the reporter should be saying is, hi, um, my name is Joe Bloggs, and I work for the... West Sussexshire Bugle. Yeah. For want of a better made-up newspaper name. Um, they need to give their credentials straight away because the person who they're interviewing needs to know that they are speaking to a reporter. Um, now, the CEO could probably turn around, could probably say, look, I know what you want to talk about. Come into the office. It's going to be difficult for a reporter in today's straight into times to accept that because they'd rather do the interview over the phone yeah that being said we're talking about a really quite serious situation yeah so they they may feel like okay fine let's go but we'll i'll speak, speak to you face to face 
but it has to be today. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, you know, they're not going to, they'd rather do it over the phone, but if they could do it, you know, as soon as possible, get down to wherever, speak to the CEO face-to-face, and the CEO says, look, there's some things I can tell you, um, and there's a lot of things I cannot. Um, the CEO should probably be, probably have somebody, if they can, somebody with them to advise on what to say. Um, but would you consider, happen. would you consider from the moment you started talking to the CEO, unless, unless it is explicitly stated otherwise by either party, would you consider it to be an on, on the record conversation from the moment the conversation has begun? You know, or, or, or would you, or, or would that be specified at some point? Yes, I would consider it. However, there has to be an element of uh, due care. Apologies, let me cut in again. I'm conscious that there will be an element of ethics here and there will be different practice for different journalists. And I'm conscious that, you know, there will be plenty of journalists out there who I'm sure would say under no, you know, if the CEO was panicked and was having a terrible time and was just like in tears down the phone, not thinking, saying what they were thinking and blurted it all out. Of course, I would say, no, wait a second. You do realise it's on the record, but you don't have to do that, do you? As in, Flipping it around the other way, would it be fair to say that if you are the CEO or whoever, you know, the person talking to the journalist, that it would be wise for them to consider it on the record unless it has been explicitly stated otherwise? Because the journalist can, if they wish to, consider the conversation on the record from the very beginning, can't they? Yeah, they can. Uh, yeah, yes, OK. Exactly. So and looking at it purely from the say. other person's point of view, assume it's on the record unless it is explicitly stated otherwise. Yeah, and I mean the CEO can say what I'm about to tell you is off the record, obviously, and you, that's the way it's done. Um, you, you say, you say what I'm about to tell you is off the record, and the next thing is yada 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 yada, and then that once they've stopped speaking and the journalist then asks another, another question, we're then back on the record. Would you do? You, I mean, out of curiosity again, because you know I'm not a journalist, you know. I'm I'm conscious that it's probably a legally grey area, this whole on the record, off the record, in the sense that, again, purely hypothetically, let's say a journalist was a completely nefarious sort who decided, well, you've said that that's off the record, I'm going to report it anyway. I get that unethically, I get that, totally get that's an ethics thing, but I'm I'm conscious there's probably legal grey areas as to what constitutes on or off the record. But for someone someone from a charity who's, who's never done this sort of thing before, what are the benefits to both parties to, to saying certain things off the record? Because the way I'm thinking about it, and tell me if I'm wrong, is the ability to say, let's, let's stop for a second and talk off the record, might give the CEO the chance to give some context, some understanding to something by expressing some honest opinions and say, look, this is the reality of the situation. This is how we've come to here. But I need to tell you this bit off the record so you understand it better. But I don't want this particular bit published. So. If somebody's sitting there thinking, well, I'll just say, uh, you know, I wouldn't trust them, it's on, off the record. Off the record can be a useful element for both parties, can't it? Absolutely. It's really good to have a, you know, there are there are mutual goals that can be achieved here. Um, and it's good to build up the trust uh, for both sides. So, yeah, by having that off the record chat, if there are, I mean, you don't have to tell them everything. You don't have to give every uh, spit and cough, but if you think that it's worthwhile having an off-the-record chat, then do so. But at the same time, don't don't completely let your guard down. And a journalist would be sat there going, 
well, you just told me something that I probably shouldn't be. Yeah. If, I, mean, I, I would. But I'm not saying that other journalists would be the same. If yeah, so, so, maybe, so maybe don't say something that's going to absolutely sink your charity if it gets out off the record. But if it's something that you think, look, I'd rather this wasn't published, but it will help you understand it a bit better. Yeah. So you might want so, so an example that's popping into your head might say, look, you know, the person, you know, off the record, the person who's done this, obviously they've horrendously screwed up. The thing is, their partner left them unexpectedly two weeks ago. They found out a couple of weeks before that they've got a terminal illness and that, you know, that this is the circle and this has not come about as a result of a general culture of, 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 you know, this has come about as a result of a very specific set of circumstances. And that insight may then make you think, OK, right, fair enough, I understand it a bit better. So anyway, let, let, let's move it on, though. So you, you've had the, you've started the conversation, you're talking to the CEO, either in person, on the Zoom or, or over the phone or something like that. They're explaining the situation to you. They're willing to talk. They've decided they're going to explain it to you. During the course of them explaining it to you, it becomes clear to you from, from your interpretation and from what they're saying that whatever the context, whatever the excuses, this very egregious data breach has occurred due to incompetence, whatever you want to call it, on the part of the charity. The charity, this is, this is their fault. They have done things they shouldn't have done. As a journalist covering the story, you know, does that change your approach to the story when you realise a, a key element of this is it was a completely avoidable situation and it and it, it's because they've avoidably screwed up that this has happened? Does that change how you approach the story? Yes. I mean, yes, it does. I suppose I'm trying to distinguish between a scenario where, you know, you can have all the, the IT security in the world, but if you're hacked by incredibly skilled hackers, there is an element of, you know, well, listen, no security system is perfect. But, it, you know, I mean, we, we've we've heard famous stories in the past, the example of like CDs being left on the train that yeah. that, you know, that is just downright incompetence. You know, you feel sorry for the person who's done it. It was an accident, but that is an unacceptable level. If it's more the latter where it's just someone has flat out screwed up, how, how does that perhaps change your approach as a journalist to the story? I mean, the, at the end of the day, it's the CEO has to be um, has to be the one who, who carries a burden of responsibility. Um, you know, if somebody has provided a link to something online that provides uh, donors' data, very sensitive data, the CEO has got a lot to, to answer. That doesn't mean to say it's talking about their job but you know would you answer saying there's some big questions big security questions why didn't your uh, employees know about these things and yes i would take it differently from um i would look at this story differently from a um uh a cyber attack uh yeah. or yeah there's incompetence it's kind of like i mean come on guys what were you thinking the, the, so what we're saying is that the fault element would become part of the story. The story would no longer simply be this has happened. The story would become, and I think we can, you know, understand the, the justification. But the story would be would become it has happened and it shouldn't have happened. Let's look at how it happened and examine the fact that it really shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah, I mean, look, there's an element of you know, there has to be an element of trust in the public 
sorry, trust from the public in the charity. And if you've done something that, uh, as a charity, that has uh, led to things getting out that shouldn't have happened, it's, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's something operational, like dealing with, you know, making sure that people are being cared for properly or whatever, or it's your administration. Then, yeah, um, people are going to lose trust in that charity, um, and so therefore, it's you are, as a journalist, you can be asking the questions that some people, the donors who paid a lot of money, be saying, "I've given you all this money, and now I'm exposed to this risk." Yeah, you know, um, this is the thing. Yeah, actions have consequences, and those consequences need to be faced. Out of again, I'm using this question a lot, but I, I am I'm genuinely curious out of all of this. Out of curiosity, again. When it comes to talking to someone from the organisation, some organisations will have access to a legal department, a legal person, some won't. From the, from the charity's point of view, not from your point of view, from the charity's point of view, do you think they're better off, better served putting forward someone like the CEO who perhaps won't have the legal training and the legal nous when it comes to admissions of guilt and things like that, but but is good at saying, look, this is the charity coming forward and, I, and I, you know the, the buck stops here and all that. Or are they better served, do you think, putting forward someone legal who maybe that creates the appearance of them sort of trying to hide to some extent. It doesn't look as good, but at the same time, it might protect them more. Do, do you think if a charity has the option of sort of putting forward a blocker, if you know what I mean, they should do that? Or is it always best to send forward the captain of the ship, if you know what I mean? Um, by the way, can I just uh, apologise? If you hear any noise, that is my cat. Who I've, is... I've been watching the cat coming and going. The cat looks like it's got some strong opinions on the subject. Yes. But, but but we'll make those off the record. I, I will assure the cat <laughs> at some point. I, but, 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 you know, like yeah. it, 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 the temptation I can imagine is if you've got access to someone legal, is to send the legal person up who will say, no comment to this, no comment to that. You might say this, I can't personally comment. And, and that gives you an adult level of protection. But I think we've all probably seen this, you know, when there's a scandal of some kind, again, stepping away from this scenario for a second, there is an element of when something happens and there are questions to be answered and the person sends out a spokesperson, there is an element of, or, or a solicitor who speaks on their behalf. I think there's an optics element of why aren't they speaking for themselves? Are, are they sending out the spokesperson because they're worried that if they come out and speak, they're going to reveal all the dirty secrets they don't want us to know about? And they're sending out this person because this person they know will only say the bare minimum. But of course, then you've got the, but it's, it, I, I think yeah. there's an optics element. How yeah. much, from your point of view, if you were suddenly put into the situation of the charity's position, would you would you prioritise how does this look or would you prioritise the, no, we need a skilled legal person handling of this if possible? Uh, okay, so if I was the charity, I would, you know, you can rely on, if you've got an investigation ongoing, if it's a criminal investigation, you can just, you can hide behind that to a certain degree. Bear in mind, that there are things that are going to be said by people who perhaps don't necessarily work for the organisation, but work for the charity. But um, I have a vested interest, you know, um, somebody who relies heavily on their support um, as in the public sphere. We're talking like a councillor, for example. Um, you can hide behind a certain, like an investigation's ongoing. If the Information Commissioner of Information Commissioner's Office is uh, got a, a, an investigation ongoing, you just say, look, we're there's not an investigation I'm going. That works to a certain level. Um, 
you there has to come a point though where you have to say something now you can as a ceo provide um you can speak to a journalist i would probably rather do that than getting somebody legal because a, a ceo sounds better um yeah. you can put out a statement um you what you i mean there may come a point where you feel like look we can't answer these questions because it is so sensitive um that all we can say is we just refer you to a previous statement to some of our previous answers and it's not necessarily the best thing but also bear in mind the journalist just wants the story out yeah um so if they if the charity can't provide a good enough answer um, and the charity says, I just refer you to my previous answers. The journalist will go, fine. If you're happy with that, I'll do that. But bear in mind, the journalist should be saying, these are the specific points that I'm putting to you. And if you just want to say, refer to something, you know, refer to a previous answer, fine. But that's what we're going with. I think the thing this comes back to is, and again, this, this, is, this is very much personal opinion, but I've always been someone, I've always been someone who's a believer, and again, just myself, that you see this with politicians stepping away from the scenario for a moment. When when a politician is asked, you know, there's been a scandal. We all know something's happened. We all know it's dodgy. And the politician will say, well, I, I can't speak about this at time because an inquiry is ongoing and it, it, it would be improper for me. And I always think, do they know how unconvincing this sounds? It, you know, is there is, is someone behind the scenes telling them that this sounds good? Because to me. It, all I'm hearing them is saying the words, I don't want to talk about this because it relates to something bad. And therefore, the less I have to talk about this, the better. Whereas I think, again, myself, if a politician came out and said, yes, you, do you know what? You know, there's no escaping the fact that this was a screw up and that significant mistakes were made. And yes, and we will and we will deal with the consequences of them in due, to, due course and accept that. Whilst that does draw to attention the failure, which you're obviously not keen to do, that spirit of open honesty, I think, I, I think would make you have more confidence in them that they're actually telling the truth and that they want to fix things. And if somebody comes to, you know, to the press and says, look, this is the situation, you know, and we're not happy about it. I, I feel from a purely optics point of view, that plays better. You know, this is not court. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not talking, you know, they're not testi testifying in court, perhaps a different thing. You don't, in court, you don't need to worry about the optics as much. It's about the, you know, the facts of the case. But what I'm building up to here is my question is in, you've got two ends of the scale. You can, you can, you can take the approach of no comment, refuse to comment. As long as we carry on no commenting and we say no comment to absolutely everything. Yes, it looks rubbish, but ultimately it means that nothing is confirmed or denied. And at the other end of the scale, let's lay it all out on the table and let's cauterize this wound. And it will look horrendous for a short period of time, but it will foster that. If, if you gave up the journalism game and went and worked for PR for charities, would you say, look, if you've got to choose between one or the other, would you advise the no comment route or the mea culpa lay it out on the table route as best serving for the charity? I'd tell them to lay it out on the table as much as possible. I mean, obviously, you've got to think about um, certain legal aspects and there are things you, you should say, I cannot answer that, but I can tell you some more about this. But you do want to build up... Um, an element of trust, not only with the general public, but with that journalist, because 
there will be other things that you're going to be working on and you want to say to them, look, we've got this event coming up. Can you help us with that? Yeah, we've this this happened. I, I know you're probably going to refer to it in every other story you do. Yeah. But, you know, there's still good work that we're doing here. So, um, the, balance, so the balancing act would be then, seek some legal advice and say, look, Let's lay it all out on the table. Is there anything here we cannot say because it will materially harm us from a legal point of view? But ultimately, let's start from the position of get it all out there, say everything, but let's just make sure there's nothing that we literally cannot say that will, you know, that will be very significant consequences. And that's not saying hide it from it or, or, or doing a cover-up, but you know, that you might say, no, you can't comment on that because there's an ongoing investigation or something or something like, or that's not confirmed yet, or that's speculation. But so, so we're saying lay it out on the table, that, that that's the better route. I, I suppose then what this all boil, com, comes back down to is it's you as a journalist have got your agenda and the charity have got their agenda and within those things there are layers to it you know you've got the element of the story where you're just reporting the facts but you also want to look at who's to blame they they want to get the facts out there but they also want to do their pr everyone's doing a balancing act aren't they there is no set route for this there is no guaranteed step-by-step -step plan that will always work every time is there no there isn't you know i can even if I can think of uh, various scenarios in my head where um, I've, you know, I've worked with several charities before and I can think of a situation like this happening. Um, and we may have had a really good relationship. I may have had a really good relationship as a journalist with the charity or with a representative of the charity. And then this happens and they just go, I can't, I just don't want to talk about it because it, I don't know. Yeah, you know it's frustrating but um there isn't really any you're right in the fact that there's no there's no scripts that we are all working off um you know it's not like i'll go to you and then you'll go to somebody else and then you'll come back to me um in the end we're all you know we're all trying to help each other out i mean yes there's something terrible has happened in this scenario but something terrible happens in every scenario. Um, yeah. You know, there's still good work that you're trying to do. Um, it, and you've just got to make the best of a bad situation, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, it looks terrible now. And it really does. And it's awful. Um, and as a journalist, I feel awful for that CEO to have to turn around and say, yeah, somebody in our... Somebody in our organisation said something they really, really shouldn't have done, and I and I don't mean they did something. Um, they just did something that was really, really stupid, and now we're left having to pick up the pieces. Um, we, so yeah, it's it's awful to have to think that. Um, but you you got you got a job to do. Um, well, well, tell you what, let, let, let's go from the awful and make it even worse then. So you're covering this story um, because, you, you know, you, you represent the local newspaper. So obviously you're going to be the first media interest. But let's say for the sake of argument that this is actually thousands of names and numbers. And it turns out they're actually spread all out over the UK. And some of them have donated a significant amount of money. And maybe one of the donors is a high profile person or something like that. So you've given out, I'm not going to name a real celebrity, but you've given out the name, address and bank details of, you know, a really famous footballer or a film star or something and as a result 
the national media gets hold of this a few days later. So you've started covering it. Maybe you've run a story. Maybe you haven't. If the national media gets hold of something, are they going to come in completely separate or would they consult with the local press at all and sort of say, right, well, you've been running with this story. I mean, have you had any experience of, of, of a story that started local? It doesn't have to be charity related and, and has, has gone national. What's that yeah. like if a story escalates? Uh, it can escalate very quickly. Um, and... so, so, from the, so from the charity's point of view, sorry, to be more specific, if that happens, <laughs> excuse me, are they likely to then just start getting random phone calls from different organisations? You know, is it, is it going to be sort of be, the, the local BBC TV news network one minute, then Sky News the next? Is it all going to just come in from different directions if that starts happening? Well, let's put it this way. If you've got a story like this and... Um... You're dealing with, you're probably initially dealing with not just print or digital um, media, I mean, like, you know, uh, a newspaper that also has an online presence. Uh, you also, you're probably more than likely going to be dealing with the local BBC or ITV. Um, now, um, if you've got a, it's a high, pro it's more than likely if you've got a high profile donor, member royalty, maybe. Um, Oh yes, uh, really, really well-known celebrity um, who uh, has been their bank details have been leaked. Then it's that story would probably be picked up by the nationals. However, um, it's not. You might get a call from, say, the PA. Um, you might get a couple of calls from other. Um, uh, organize it, other media outlets, but probably not BBC National or Sky. Um, that being said, you know, uh, it's a, well, my point at this juncture is, I'll continue in a moment, it's likely to be, be a story that would feature quite, not, not prominently in a national newspaper, because, you know, PA would be involved with it, or maybe you'd get a phone call from uh, a business-to-business organisation, one that represents charities. Um, if you've be aware that if you've got as a, a donor who is high profile, and then this goes to if there's a report from the ICO or from the Charity Commission, or there is um, a tribunal, an employment tribunal, or any other courts. Uh, you know, um, any other hearing involving the courts, then you will could very likely get more interest from the nationals. So when it gets to a, when it suddenly gets to a legal point of view, so that that's that's what they're going to be interested in. The idea of a celebrity getting mentioned directly or indirectly through you know for, through a legal proceeding that that's what drags them into it. And then, like I said, so you know this isn't going to all going to come through you. They're they're all going to just potentially start phoning up the charity. And, and in that scenario, if the charity has you know is thinking, well, I don't know what to do with that, that's when they probably probably want to start thinking about getting a press officer involved or something like that. You know, yeah. sort of you know again, not mentioning any names. We've seen some quite famous ones over the years. The kind of celebrity sort of um what's the word i'm looking for the sort of crisis firefighters kind of a thing who might step in and, and there are there are sort of professionals who do this don't you who you can contact who will yeah. step in you know P there are pr companies that will specialize and the charity may want to think about seeking that 
sort of support in that scenario. Don't necessarily try and do it yourself if you don't know what you're doing. Because like you say, we've got lovely ethical journalists like you, but the moment it goes nationwide, if you suddenly got 100 journalists involved, you might have one in there who perhaps is looking to make a slightly more sensational turn on it. And, and things could go south very quickly, couldn't they? Well, let's not panic. It's not likely that you're going to be on the headlines on News at 10. But um, it's still something to be aware of. That, yeah, you've, you've got a, a, yeah, lots of people whose bank details who, who are at significant threat. Or one of them happens to be a high-profile celebrity, or several of them maybe. Um, it's going to get some national interest. Um, but it's going to be forgotten about fairly quickly too. But then, but the, you know what? Though you're you're right though, because I'm getting I'm getting slightly excited with myself there. They're not going to cut into standard broadcasting to do a news flash on this, are they? No, no, they're not. No. They're we're going to cut away from the prime minister's um, emergency statement there to go to live to West Sussexshire, where a GDPR breach is currently mm -hmm. underway. No, so, no, fair enough. So if you suddenly feel like the story is escalating, that's not going to be pleasant. Panic might set in a little bit, but. Take a second to realise that despite how it may be the centre of your world at the time, it's not going to be the centre of everyone else's world. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm actually thinking to myself, as, as a consumer of news, I would have little to no interest in a GDPR breach in a charity on the other side of the country. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's one other thing I was thinking about is it depends on the geographical size of your charity. You know, if you are a charity that are... I think we talked about the scenario in this case is a mental health charity. Yeah, so like a mental health charity with 10 to 20 employees, a couple of million turnover a year, and let's say covering, not not going to say it's covering the West Country, but covering a bunch of counties the size of the West Country, something like that. Right. Okay, so we're talking about a signal, you know, we saw it saying, depends on what you consider the West Country, but yeah, if you're saying, um, if your charity covers Lincolnshire, Yorkshire, and Whichever one the neighbours, Yorkshire, Lancashire, Lancashire, yeah, fine. That, that's a large, a significant amount of population, and probably a lot of people have heard of that charity. Yeah. Um, if you are, but if you're talking about something, you know, charity that is not that well known, most people in most rest of the country are going to go, who? Then... Yeah, no, no, you, you know, you you are you are absolutely right, and I, and I'm not going to name them, but I'm 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 thinking in my head of a couple of scandals that have happened in the charity world in recent years, and as I'm thinking about, you know, and those who are listening can probably think of their own scandal, you know, that they think we're probably thinking of similar ones, but but those were so in depth and layered and had been and they were things that had been running over a really long period of yeah. time, you know, it, it and it took so much for them to be national stories. Like like you say, this isn't going to be a national news story, probably. To wrap it up then, my final question. So like I said, let's imagine that in this scenario, you're not the journalist, you are advising the charity. The situation has happened. It's day one. You know, the phone call from the journalist, you, you've been led to believe you're going to get a phone call from a journalist in five to 10 minutes time. You're the CEO, you've never, you're helping, you're supporting the CEO, sorry, who's never done this before. What would be your top tips as someone who's had a foot in both camps? What would be your top tip in that scenario to your charity CEO? These are the things to do. These are the things to don't do if you want to get the best outcome from the charity's point of view. If I was the PR advisor and I got a, been told that right, the CEO has got five minutes before a journalist gets down there, 
I'd say to the CEO, get me in that room. Because, I mean, that, that PR advisor wants to do their job. Um, see, Let, let's, my... let's say you're on your honeymoon and the Wi-Fi is sketchy. So <laughs> you've got two minutes on with the phone and they say, look, I, you know, I, I, I'm listen, my banana boat expedition is beginning <laughs> in five minutes. I cannot help you. So listen, but listen. My my top tips for this meeting. What would be you know? Are there any do's or don'ts? Is there anything you would say? I would advise doing this, taking this approach, or whatever you do, don't do that. All right. Yeah. Speak to the journalists. Put face to face. Get them in the room. See them. Get to know them as best you can. Um, try to make them think that. Try to open up. Try to make them think that they can. You can be their friend. Um, and say you know, hold your hands up and admit. And a mistake was made. We're looking into it. We ex explain to the people, explain to the journalists, this is what we've done. This, uh, this is how we found out about what's happened. This is what we've done to mitigate. This is what we are doing. And this is what we're going to do in the future. And leave, make sure that the journalist leaves with your business card so that um, they can know to call you if there's any problems um but make them aware of all the other good things that you do as a charity you know yeah. there is this incident but let them know yeah we've got this um black tie gala do coming up on you know middle of june and you know everyone's going to be there come on down we'll give you you know bring your partner uh, you know so you try to do everything you can to. Yeah. So I think I think the key thing coming out of there that is remember, you gain nothing by being antagonistic or overly defensive towards yeah. the journalist. You know, as in yes, the journalist has got their own agenda. Yes, the journalist is not there to be your PR officer. If the journal the journalist may end up going down the route of saying this charity is horrendously screwed up because you may have done, and that might be a fair reflection, but nothing nothing is going to be better for you by by not trying to befriend and, and sort of almost like help out the journalist by saying, let me tell you the full story. Let me give you the nuance to it. Let me give you the context. Let me make you understand that 99% of what we do is brilliant. And I will also tell you about the 1% thing that we've done that is not so good. Yeah, you know, but, balance, balance every positive with every negative with a positive. I, I would just think about it for a moment. You, if you don't tell the journalist anything, or you, you're not going to say you'd lie, but you just really just don't want to tell them anything, and then they find out in another way, is that journalist going to want to go back to uh, you, or is it they're going to trust you even to provide? Uh, an honest answer and are they going to want to are they really going to want to help you, you know you know you know what we, we can end with a very real life example that we you know that we can all relate not relate to perhaps but we can all we're all familiar with of, of what you're talking about the how not to do it and that is um the way that the recent government handled partygate and all that yeah. you know let, let's start off by pretending it never happened then let's admit it might have happened, but we didn't really know about it. Then let's say we knew about it, but we've learned, you know, it, it, it was every, you know, I'm not trying to make a party political point here, but there was very much a step-by-step -step approach where, the, where at no point was the approach, let's just be completely open and transparent about this 
and just let the cards fall where they may and hope that people will accept that we're all human and we all make mistakes. The approach in the beginning was try to deflect, try to distract, try to deny. And it did not work out for anyone well at all, did it? I, I will keep my political... You absolutely want to do... Yes. <laughs> that, that was off the record. That was off the record. Don't worry. <laughs> Listen, Ed, I want to thank you ever so much for that. You you know, you you know, you and I have known each other for years, but you've genuinely still given me some really good insights there, and I really appreciate it. And I hope that for anyone listening to this podcast episode, I hope... It's, it's not often we say this on, on this podcast, but I hope that you never have to use any of the insights that Ed has given us here today. I hope it is... Uh, no point do you need it. But if you do, and you find yourself in that circumstance, I'm sure it will be helpful ed it's been a pleasure chatting as always thanks thank ever so much for coming on thank you very much been great to be on the show thank you and look forward to um coming on again someday maybe no well when i've got a press crisis i'll give you a ring yeah thanks yeah ever so much. <laughs> cheers Well, I don't know about you, but at parts through that episode, I was sort of having palpitations whilst I thought about how I would deal with those situations if I was the leader of a charity. But what I can say for certain is some of the stuff that Ed was telling me there has given me reassurance that if I was running a charity and there was a PR crisis, it's not the end of the world. You do have options. There are things you can do. And whilst if it were to happen to you and your charity, it will still be an incredibly stressful time. You should always try and remember that and don't feel like you're boxed into a corner and don't talk to anyone, don't deal with anyone. Remember, you do have options. I want to thank my guest once again, Ed Stilliard, a good friend of mine. We go back over 20 years. It was my pleasure to talk to him and I hope he can help you with the insights he gave today. This has been Third Sector Success, the podcast from Third Sector Network and you can find out more about us at www.thirdsectornetwork.co.uk and find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok, all the usual places, at My Third Sector. Thanks for listening today. Really appreciate your time. <laughs>